What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Keeping Stock Sneaker Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gray. And today, we're going to take a little segment from a YouTuber I watch often, MKBHD, and go into Techtober with a focus on what Nike has done recently. In addition, we'll go over game five of the NBA playoffs and potentially six or seven, depending on how it plays out. But before we get to all of that, I just want to remind you, Keeping Stock is a weekly sneaker podcast uploaded every Sunday in 20 to 30 minute fast paced episodes. So if you enjoy the show, make sure to rate, review and all that on your favorite platform and let's get into it. If you are familiar with MKBHD, you know how they've transitioned into Techtober. It appears to typically be the month a lot of new tech is announced in the world of primarily cell phones, sometimes consoles or TVs, but I decided to take that over for us today. What's really been catching my eye over the years is the evolution of Nike's auto lacing adapt series. It's something that could change the landscape of shoes moving forward, and it's something that kind of flies under the radar right now because even though they are releasing these shoes, they're actively working on the technology to make it better in each iteration. With that, it's important to understand where it started and how it started. In 1989, Back to the Future 2 releases, we see Marty McFly on the hoverboard, we see the Nike Air Mag. At that time, just a movie prop took a ton of strings to make it do what it did at that time, but an iconic shoe. Over time, Nike looked at the shoe and it continued to grow in that fan fiction realm, and people were wondering when that shoe would come to fruition. And so, Mark Parker and Tinker Hatfield, for over two decades, are discussing this idea, wondering if it's possible, can Nike be the one to produce it, what will it take to be produced, and so forth. In 2008, 19 years after Back to the Future 2 has released, Nike files her patent 8 million 46,937 in 2008 for auto lacing. And this hits media outlets slightly. It's nowhere near as big as what media is today. And people are wondering, are they going to bring out the Nike Air Mag? And assigned to this project was Tiffany Beers and Tinker Hatfield. Hatfield assigns Tiffany the project of figuring out the elements to create the Nike Air Mag, which if you put yourself in her shoes, there is no blueprint to this. There is no shoe that was auto-lacing electronically at this point in time. There was no concept or typical instructions to follow. It was making a movie prop that took, like I said, five to seven individuals to make look real into an actual sellable real shoe. So three years later, in 2011, the mag appears. They sell 1,510 pairs, but the one thing that sticks out, there isn't exactly auto-lacing happening in this 2011 pair of Nike Air Max, and for good reason. They filed that patent in 2008. They've most likely been working on it for a few years. When it gets to that stage, I'm sure that it just wasn't right for consumer use, but they do auction it off. They raise over $9.4 million dollars for the MJ Fox Foundation, Michael J. Fox Foundation and Parkinson's, which is a great feat, but people are still left wanting that auto lacing feature. Five years later, 
or eight years after the patent in 2016, we get the official Nike Air Mag with auto lacing technology. There was only 91 pairs auctioned off, much, much smaller quantities. Once again, raised a ton of money for the Michael J. Fox Foundation. It was a great cause. But the question that stands out, and as we go into the Techtober segment, is how did they do it? What did it take to get to that Nike Air Mag? Or in 2016 also, the consumer retail version that you could pick up on Nike.com. And when it boils down, it was 11 years of research and development filled with false starts, delays, missed deadlines, countless prototypes, internal doubt and skepticism, and a variety of redesigns. However, what kept them afloat was the belief that this was going to change the landscape of performance footwear and footwear in general. This project could excel Nike in the next generation in the possibilities of what you can do with footwear. And this is completely independent of what Nike Plus was, maybe an iteration off of what they were doing, where you could track stats and the accelerometer and the shoes and the hyperdunks at that time. But this is a completely different project that Tiffany Beers, once again, is heading up. And so she started with simple questions. You don't have to make it convoluted when you don't have a roadmap. The goal is to get auto lacing. So she asked, how do I pull these laces? How do I get that function to work? And from there, she used some inspiration from Food Network to do some sort of a tech bake-off where she sourced out to different vendors and partners and manufacturers and asked them that question. How would you do it? How much would it cost? What it would look like? What does it need? What space is it? And during this time, she's opening her mind and her team's mind to the landscape of possibilities out there to create an auto-lacing shoe. However, the catch is she never mentions that it's Nike that is working on this project. And so not only does it give her the landscape, it gives her an idea of what that may cost to get into a single pair of shoes. It gives her an idea of the vendors that they may want to work with or the distributors or manufacturers she may need to contact later down the road when they have a better idea of what they'd like to do. Once those questions were answered, she set her team to learn fast, a positive approach on failing fast. Essentially what this does is cuts out all of that wasted time dwindling and working on ideas that don't work. She gave her team small projects, and these projects were build me the shoe in one hour, and we'll see if it works. So they'd go out, test the shoes, see what they could build in one hour, learn the limits of what they had, learn what they needed to expand upon, where they had no clue what they were doing, and so that they were throwing a ton of ideas out and saying, oh yeah, this one might work, put it in maybe. This one doesn't work, throw it in no. This one looks the most likely, put it in yes. That way you aren't wasting a ton of time going through every single idea as it comes up and spending days on a time at it, when you can easily identify the issues causing this shoe not to work. In addition, it helped them understand that they had to wait for the technology to make these shoes work. When they're building out the design for the HyperAdapts or the Nike Air Max of 2016, the tech wasn't there. As you saw, it's 11 years to produce a shoe in the research and development. So at this time, they didn't have the motors or the magnets and the correct size to build for a shoe. Think about how small a shoe is, even if you were a size 13 or a 15, to put a motor in there 
and a function that is going to auto lace and communicate to not squeeze your foot too tight, keep it comfortable, release pressure, and work in a environment of very heavy impact. So they have to wait for the tech to do so. Once that tech has arrived, those motors, those processors, those magnets have worked and they've tested them out, then they're looking strictly at user experience. If they're gonna put all this time into a shoe and no one wants to buy it, it becomes purely a gimmick, then they failed. The gimmick is gonna catch someone to wear the shoes and then if it's actually comfortable, that's when someone sold and buys it or maybe buys another pair, talks positively or gets a pair in the future. However, they were still learning the tech. So during these user experience tests, when people are putting them on, they are simply using a remote. They are communicating with the shoe how to autolase, how to add pressure. And the test users were floored. They loved the experience. It was phenomenal, like nothing they'd ever done before. And so while they're testing with these remotes, they're still trying to figure out how are we going to fit all of the electronics? Right now we have an external remote that we have to use to put on the shoes. What if someone loses that? We don't want to give another piece of hardware that might cost additional funds. And so you have to remember now that they have to fit in sensors in various portions of the shoe to analyze the foot, magnets, the lacing engine, a lithium battery, LED lights, flyweave, all within a small space that has to hold up to moisture and sweat. It has to hold up to the impact of running and working out. So a whole nother problem. First, they have to develop the tech. Now, how do we size it down to fit into a shoe that is functionally usable for an average consumer? And during this process, 11 years, a decade is a long time. And Tiffany's team got burnt out. They had electrical and mechanical engineers. They had a maker and they were all burnt out of all of the iterations that you have to go through to where am I going to put the motor? Where am I going to put the magnet? How does the lacing engine work? Is this comfortable? Is this going to be durable? All of these iterations are going to burn you out over that time. So Tiffany thought outside of the box. She assigned her team to go to Home Depot and build a running shoe that they could run in for five miles with materials strictly from Home Depot. So nothing in the kitchen that they were working in, but from Home Depot, something that could work as a performance model for a five mile run just to get their brain re-energized and thinking in a different way than what they've been thinking for five, seven years of developing this model. And they did it. It worked well. They could run in it multiple times. They even put the Home Depot logo on the tag of the shoe just for giggles. And now they have an idea. Everyone's re-energized of what the shoe may look like. And right when they start to get comfortable, Tinker Hatfield puts the team on the burner. He alludes to the media that they're working on an auto-lacing shoe and it's going to be out soon. Tinker then comes back to the team and tells them, in five weeks, we're going to need a functional prototype to put on Mark Parker's desk. And so they buckle down. For those five weeks, they go full isolation, working with the team day in, day out, and they get it done. That becomes the HyperAdapt 1.0. And this whole time they've been working in the crazy Tinker Hatfield kitchen full of prototypes and new technologies for 11 years. When that shoe releases, how much is it? $720. And some people were blown away by the price of the HyperAdapt 1.0. This shoe has the lace engine. 
It senses friction in different areas of the foot to understand if it's too tight. It's communicating within itself to say where to loosen up, where to tighten up. It has a very specific pressure equation built into the model to understand how much pressure is good and how much is bad. It has the adaptive fit to remember your foot, to fit properly, not harm your foot as we go back to user experience. They wanted to make it all right for the user that buys that shoe. They give it the Earl name, Electro Adaptive Reactive Lacing, and it's off to the market. And so here, why is it $720? Let's take a step back and talk technology at scale. So for 11 years, Nike and Tiffany Beers are developing prototypes of single pairs of shoes, maybe one sole pair, maybe three pairs to test out. These are being made in the kitchen, specifically designed for experimental and futuristic building for Nike, designed by Tinker Hatfield, in all of these one-off, three-off ways. Then you count in all of the time for research and development, all the different trips around the world, talking to different vendors, going to different conferences, the cost of labor from your staff, the cost of a bad prototype, delays, waiting for tech to get where it is, buying tech in the quantities they needed to, things that simply didn't work out, for a single shoe to say, yep, this is what we want to go with. From there, you have to scale your operation. So you have vertically scaling. If Nike just had one machine and they improved the capability and the efficiency of it, that's vertically scaling. However, that's one machine. So that would be, oh, I made one pair of shoes. It took me eight hours. I can make one pair of shoes per workday. That's not going to get it done. Then you have technology at scale moving horizontally. That's adding multiple machines. Adding multiple machines to decrease that workload for a specific pair of shoes. So in eight hours, instead of making one pair of shoes, you can make five pairs of shoes. But for Nike, you have to do both at the same time. Once that prototypes have been approved, you have to vertically and horizontally scale to efficiently make this product at a price range that makes sense to sell that's gonna help cut into that research and development cost. Yeah, Nike probably ate a ton of that R&D cost on these shoes. However, selling these at $720 is what makes that cost go down slightly. Further, you start at $720, see what it's like, see what the reaction is, not specifically to the shoe, but maybe to the market in general. Are you too early to the market? Are you too late to the market? Further, are your profit margins making sense for this type of footwear? Say a shoe from Nike typically costs $25 to make. Now say the Hyper Adapt costs $175 to make. Plus how you have to ship that, the new packaging, the packaging size, the charging pad, all of these external features. Then once you sell that, are you still making a margin that you're happy with? That's technology at scale. And those are things I've alluded to in other episodes where it's whether it is the ADAPT system from Nike or it is their competitor Adidas and Futurecraft. They're slowly building up this operation that makes sense at a cost-friendly price for them to then start bringing the price down as it becomes more efficient, more affordable, and the technology that they're purchasing is easier to purchase at a better price. And that's how you see from that first HyperAdapt at $720 to in 2019, the Adapt BB, that basketball 1.0, the first version, for $350. 
And from there, you can see where Nike's pivoted it a little bit going for performance basketball footwear. The first version was supposed to be a cross trainer, but more was a technological feat that Nike said, you can run in them, you can work out in them, you could play basketball on them. It's going to last for up to two weeks on a single charge. So people are familiar. And then you pivot and take it and say, we have the technology. How do we design this to be truly performance oriented for, in this case, basketball, our bread and butter at Nike? They've scaled the technology. They can cut that price in half. And it's still doing essentially the same mechanics as Earl. The DATBV didn't have laces, but it still is tightening. It's still doing that automatically. And what I thought was funny is, you know how they were using the remotes during the user experience phase. Now we have an app that acts as a remote for your left and your right shoe to control that pressure. Further, more technology going into developing an app that ties your shoes for you, changes the color of the shoes. They take all of the feedback from the Hyper Adapt to the Adapt BB. And now in 2020, we get the Adapt Auto Max for 400, a little bit more lifestyle oriented, and the Adapt BB2 for $350 to $400. And you can see how it's scaled, and right now it's hovering right there, most likely because the cost to produce those shoes, the cost to get reliable tech. Saying that another area we haven't talked about is these shoes are faulty and they're handed a ton of returns. Those shoes typically aren't going to sell the same way as another Nike shoe that hits an outlet. Because even when you're cutting it at half price, when I've been to the employee store and they're 50 or 40% off, you're looking at $200, $225 for a shoe still, which is significantly higher than the average shoe. But it is a promising thing to see, and it's made me very intrigued to try to get my hands on a pair. I've tried in the past for some models, has to be the right colorway, but I would like to because this is a piece that is potentially historical to footwear as things advance. Because right now it's strictly for the tech and we're looking at it in a basketball sense. But once it comes to scale and that technology is scaled, think about all the uses you could use this technology for for Nike. They could use it in footwear for the disabled who can't tie their shoes or struggle to tie their shoes, struggle to get their shoes on, struggle to get their shoes off. That's one route. Does this change into clothing where pants are auto-fitting around the waist instead of having a belt? There's a variety of areas this can go. It could go strictly performance for basketball. It could go to baseball. It could go to running. They could bring back Nike Plus and start giving you those statistics with the Nike Run Club and how you're running, how much pressure you're putting on, correct speeds, and all these things. Once again, that's another additional cost, but it is a possibility over time. And they're actively working on it. We're only four models in, not counting the Air Mag as a specialty product, we're four models in within four, almost five years. So imagine from now in 2028, 2030, that once they've honed this technology and it comes to retail at $170, where it could be, what other tech it comes in. Can you get a shoe that truly changes color? Maybe you can change the swoosh with the app on your phone with the LEDs on the swoosh. Maybe it acts as a warmer, or it can warm up your feet for a winterized version. Maybe you can add or relieve pressure in the sole, for the, depending on the ride or the cushion. You can set different modes in your footwear. All of these things could pile up down the line, but they're just getting started. And I'm really excited to see what comes down the line. I'd love to hear what your guys have thought on Nike's auto lacing system 
And what other pieces of tech and footwear that you enjoy? Is it what Adidas is doing with Future Craft? Was it the Reebok pump? There's a huge world of tech that happens in sneakers every time you see one, whether it was the Air Max bubble, wherever it was Boost. It could be anything. And this is the next trend, potentially. So with that being said, I'm going to keep my eyes out on trying to get a pair here soon. Maybe that price will come down next year or the year after that. Eventually, I'm going to have a pair of self-lacing, auto-lacing shoes from Nike. We're going to take a quick break, then take a look at cool content and upcoming sneaker releases. If you like what you've heard so far, make sure to follow us on social media, Instagram at keeping stock and Twitter at keeping underscore stock. Further, social media is always found in the show notes and other cool things that are going on with the Keeping Stock podcast. But the best place to find that is going to be following us on Instagram and Twitter. Without further ado, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Keeping Stock. And for cool content, let's talk NBA playoffs. It's almost over as I record this. The Lakers have just lost game five to the Heat, and probably the best game of the series. LeBron played great, Jimmy Butler played great, Anthony Davis had his moments, and it's turning out to be a great series. By the time you listen to this, maybe on Sunday, maybe game six hasn't happened yet, or maybe it has, and maybe the Lakers have won, or the Heat have forced game seven. And if so, maybe if you're listening to this later in the week, the NBA Finals has been decided and the bubble season's over. My takeaways are, the NBA did a great job with the bubble in giving us sports, and continuing on the season, keeping players safe, keeping their staff safe, all around great reviews. However, I would say from my one perspective, my one complaint is maybe it's how basketball has changed, how the game has changed, and maybe it's because there's no fans, but the pacing in the bubble just seemed very dominant by the refs. Whatever team you liked, Team A or Team B, it seemed like the refs had a great control over the pace of the game, that I don't remember seeing in regular seasons or finals of the past, where at a certain point, I was hoping that the Lakers would win so that the finals was just over. It felt odd. You can go on Twitter or you can go on to Reddit where every single game of this final so far, no one has necessarily come out and said, oh, wow, the refs are rigging it for LA or rigging it for the Heat. It's been pretty even across the board where people are saying, what's going on or How can we hold the refs to a better standard? And it's a tough job. The game is moving faster than ever. The specimens on the court are constantly evolving the way of play and the things that are happening. However, by introducing the challenge rule, you're opening this floodgate that's saying, we know the refs have issues. Why don't we challenge it? Even if we're right, we're going to take away your timeout, which is weird in itself. Or having the live reviews from a ref in the, the ref station is a little odd saying, Yeah, we have someone looking at every single play and the ability to tell you if it's right or wrong on the spot. There's nothing but worse than being an NBA fan and seeing a foul and going, oh, I can't believe they got that foul. Then someone in the box saying, yeah, from all of our angles, that wasn't a foul. And that could be the point that decides the game. With all that being said, it was great to see the NBA season. I'm curious to see how the next season starts. Curious to see what sneakers we see on court and how things progress with this short time frame in between seasons. It had its highs and it had its lows. Congrats to whoever the championship winners were. So in this case, congrats to the Lakers or congrats to the Heat. And now let's take a look at upcoming releases. So upcoming releases for October 11th through Saturday, October 17th. First, we get the Air Jordan 1 High OG Women's Lucky Green. Pretty cool women's colorway. 
It reminds me of the Celtic colorway. I wish that would come back. But the woman's come out on October 14th. We get to see a ninja and Adidas night jogger again. I think Adidas is a, a little lazy by not giving ninja a whole lot of creative control, just kind of slapping colors on a night jogger like they did with his first release or what they've done with Beyonce. Maybe giving them a little bit more range to play with a different silhouette. We get the Reebok Christian Mid Ankle Reaper. We get the Reebok Shacknosis Spiderweb as their holiday Halloween colorways coming out on the 14th. We also get the Reebok Kamikaze 2, Jackokaze. Rumor is that they're going to rename the Kamikaze. I don't know why. They're trying to be a little bit more politically correct. But I don't think too many people are coming out of the woodwork saying that the Reebok silhouette is offensive. No one really even knows the name of the shoe besides people in sneakers. So it's an odd thing to change. That's a classic icon's name potentially, but we'll see if they do that. We also get the Nike Blazer Mid 77 in a brown colorway. Another Reebok Kamikaze 2 in the Peace Train. Adidas Ultra 4D Triple Black. Another great piece of tech here. $220, down quite a bit from the Futurecraft when it was $350, $400 in that common boost silhouette. Great looking shoe. It's a very interesting feeling if you've never had the opportunity to put 4D on, but that comes out on the 14th. Nike Kobe 5 Pro Tro 5 rings. Now this is interesting. As I said, I don't know who won Sunday or if a game happens on Tuesday and who won, but this could be a huge thing for Lakers fans or a complete disappointment and a good laugh for Heat fans. But that's the Nike Kobe 5. Great to see them rolling out Kobe still. That comes out on October 15th for $180. We get the Nike Zoom Freak 2 Dusty Amethyst, primarily black with the Amethyst sole on the 15th. The Nike Air Foam Posit 1 Anthracite on the 15th. And then the Nike Air Foam Posit 1 Gradient Soles for $230. Interesting to see foam starting to come out once again. Hopefully we get some of those pro colorways to start rolling out. Then we get the Air Jordan 1 Mid SE Woman's Sisterhood coming out on the 15th as well. Juju Smith-Schuster's Adidas NMD R1. This is kind of look reminds me of Buzz Lightyear, but it's an interesting collaboration that I don't know a whole lot of people ask for. Then on sneakers, we get the Union Air Jordan 4 again. Uh, I'm looking at my pair right now. Still a pretty cool shoe. It's definitely going to look a little bit better when it's worn in. Then we have the Union Jordan Zoom 92 the Union Jordan Delta Mid. Then we get the Nike Kybrid S2 What the 2.0. That's I've been saying all year long. So many Kyrie colorways here. Just looking forward to once we get back to the next Kyrie model and some regular colorways, or maybe they tone it down in some regards. Then the Air Jordan 35 Center of Gravity, which we talked about a few weeks ago on the podcast if you're interested in more about the Jordan 35. The Nike Air Force One Low Wheat Mocha on the 17th. Nike SB Dunk Low Crater on the 17th, and that's the upcoming releases. So let me know what your guys' favorite piece of tech and sneakers is, what you thought of the NBA playoffs, or what you're picking up this week. I love to interact with you. I always love conversating on Instagram and Twitter, so I look forward to hearing what you're having to say. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to leave a rating on your favorite platform. And with all that being said, I'll catch you guys next week.